You know, in life, we all have opportunities. Sometimes we see them. Sometimes we don't see them. Sadly, sometimes we see them and we don't do anything about it. That's really a sad. I can think in my own life. I look back many times, opportunities that I saw and I didn't do a thing about it. And I let that opportunity pass me by. And sometimes those opportunities never come back around again. Now in our church last week, we had such an opportunity. We had this prayer and fasting emphasis. And we encouraged people for three days, whether it be food fast, media fast, what, we just said, you think of something that is special to you that you need to give up and devote that time to more time with God, whatever it may be, maybe all day, maybe all three days, maybe a part of the day, whatever. And as I listened to people during the week, share the different things they were giving up to be able to do this, it was so very, very encouraging. Now, what I personally was blessed most about those three days was a little prayer guide in the booklet beginning on page number 12. And on page number 12 in the booklet, it suggested that on the first day, we pray for ourselves. Second day, pray for our family. And third day, pray for our church. And then under each of those days in the little booklet, it gave some specific things to pray. And that was the part that blessed me. Now, that said, I encourage you, here's an opportunity that you will be blessed. And if you do it three days, you would thank me that I suggested it to you. If you've already put your book that somewhere don't know where it is, out in the commons, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these booklets on tables. Pick one of these booklets up. Now listen carefully. Go to page 12. Go to page 12. And you'll see day one, pray for yourself. And then things to pray. And then as you read on, day two, family, day three, church. And it will be an opportunity that you will say, I'm glad I did not let this opportunity pass by me. I don't think anyone would say, I shouldn't pray for myself. Asking God to show me my sins, forgive me my sins, show me what he wants me to do in my life, or to pray for my family. All of us can do that. Every one of us can pray for our family and our church. Every one of us should pray for our church. We have prayed and God blessed us with Josh Beams to come be our student minister. And part of how all that came about was enough of us kept praying, kept waiting for God to make it clear. Now, this morning, I want to talk to you about an opportunity. Now, listen carefully. This is kind of neat, that God only gives human beings. He does not give this opportunity to animals. He does not give this opportunity to angels. Angels cannot do what God gives us the opportunity to do. And you say, what is it? I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. That's something even the angels cannot do. They can direct us, even the Holy Spirit. God does not tell the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit convicts, I understand. But when it comes to presenting the gospel message, the only creatures that can do it you and me and other humans, 
that are saved just like us. And we see this in the Bible, in the life of a man named Philip. Philip. Now, when I say Philip, people think about, okay, now Philip was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. By the way, there's just some things that we should know. Like we should know where the Ten Commandments are in the Bible. John dealt with that last Wednesday night. We should know in the Bible, not, not everything, but we should know some basic things. Where in the Bible can you turn and read a list of the 12 disciples of Jesus? Now, that's just a fair, honest question. And if you don't already know the answer to that, I want to help you. You can turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You say, yeah, but I don't have time to read all the whole gospels. And I, Okay, remember this. In Matthew, you can remember Matthew, it's the first of the gospels, chapter number 10. You say, how am I going to remember it's chapter 10? I'll give you a secret way to do it. Remember, it's one number after nine, and it's one number less than 11. And if you'll just remember that, you'll never have a problem. In Matthew chapter 10, there you read the list of the disciples. Simon Peter on every list is always listed number one. But on that list in Matthew 10 and on all the other lists, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you see this man named Philip. He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Now, but I'm not talking about Philip the disciple. I'm talking about the one we know as Philip the deacon, and we'll deal with that in just a moment. So I want you to open your Bible, if you would, to Acts chapter number six, and we're going to kind of launch into this, and uh, I think it's going to be a fun, fun time. Acts chapter number six, and uh, I want you to see what we have going on here. In Acts chapter six, Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, in those days when the number of the disciples, now, disciples here is not talking about the 12. It's talking about all the followers of Jesus. A disciple is a person that follows the teachings of the teacher. That's what a disciple is. That's the meaning of the word. A disciple is a person, like in school, you have teachers. All right, if you're serious about following their instructions, you are a disciple of that teacher. Well, these were the disciples of the Lord Jesus. And they were multiplying. And there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the 12, that's the 12 disciples, summoned the multitudes of the disciples, that's the followers of Jesus, and said it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually in prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, Stephen, look at what it says about Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And he would become the first martyr of the church. We'll see it in a moment. They chose a man named Philip. Now that's who we're going to learn from this morning. Philip became the first missionary of the church. The very first. Let's read on. 
Prochorus, all right? Tradition says he was the secretary to the apostle John. But look at these remaining four, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas. Interesting. Nothing is known of those four people. Zero. Tradition has not one word about that. Think about something. I think there's a great principle here. And here's the principle. And it will encourage many. Much of God's work is done by unknown people. Others don't know about them. We have this idea that in God's work, you've got to be the superstar. Or you've got to be the guy on the platform. Or you've got to be the guy this or the woman that or whatever. No, no, no. Much of God's work, in fact, it may be most of God's work, but certainly much of God's work is done by unknown people. You don't have to be greatly known to be used by the Lord. And we thank God for that. Well, they set these apostles whom they had prayed over and laid their hands on them. The word apostle means one set out. Then the word of the Lord spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, all seems good to this point. But if you look in verse number eight, Acts chapter six, verse eight, what we have in these next verses is the religious group accused Stephen of blasphemy. They said, you're, you're teaching things about Jesus that we think is, is actually blasphemy. They said in verse 11, they induced men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they got everybody all stirred up about that. Now in chapter seven, it's a long chapter. We certainly don't have time to read all this. But in chapter 7, you, you read really the history of Israel from Abraham forward. But Stephen responds to all their charges. It's quite an interesting chapter. Well, it didn't go over too good. Look in verse 54. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard all the things Stephen had said, it cut them to their heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. In other words, they got mad. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, look, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped up their ears. They said, we don't even hear this stuff. And they ran to him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city. They stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet, now watch this, of a young man named Saul. Two chapters farther, this man Saul is the man that meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he becomes the apostle Paul. He was watching all this. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when, they had said, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now look in verse eight, chapter eight, verse one. Chapter eight, verse one. Saul, he's standing there watching this. He wanted Christianity wiped off the face of the earth. He was consenting. That is, he agreed completely with the stoning of Stephen. He was consenting to his death. 
And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. That's talking about the 12 disciples. Sometimes they're called disciples, the teacher, father teaching the teacher. Sometimes they're called apostles. That means those sent forth. It's, it's, it's interchangeable. Okay, so they stay in Jerusalem. Now go down to verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, had you and I been a member of that church, I don't know about you, but I would have scattered too. They've just, they've just stoned to death Stephen. And they're all in turmoil and mad about what we believe is about Jesus. And so all these believers just scatter all over everywhere. Now, look at it very carefully. They scatter preaching the word. Verse 5, chapter 8, verse 5. Then Philip. Now, this is old Deacon Philip. He's the layman. He went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, he did the things spoken by Philip. He went and seeing the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was a great joy in that city. Now, look. This would be every preacher's dream. Here old Deacon Philip is. He's in Samaria. He's working miracles. He's preaching Jesus. Multitudes are coming to Jesus. It's like a a great citywide revival. Everything is going great guns. But watch this. Something very unusual happened. Chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now he's in Samaria in this great revival. An angel speaks to his heart. You say, what did the angel say to him? He said, Philip, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. You hear Gaza every day on the television, the radio, Gaza. He said, Philip, what, what we want you to do, the angel said, you leave this great revival that's going on. Just leave it. And you go over here, and there's a road in Jerusalem that takes you to Gaza. And that's where I want you to go. Verse 7 says, he arose and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasures. Now, this word eunuch. Maybe he was a physical eunuch, but probably not. That word was also used for a person that was like the treasurer. And because it says here he was over the treasury of the, of the whole thing, I, I don't think it really has to do with a physical eunuch as much as a position that he had. He was returning, sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake him, overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up in the chariot and sit with him. Now the place where he was reading the scripture was this, that Jesus was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. He opened not his mouth in his humiliation. His justice was not taken away. And who will deliver his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. He's reading from Isaiah 53. 
That's called, the, that's called the suffering servant passage where Jesus is the slain lamb, the willing sacrifice. So that's what this old eunuch's reading. He doesn't understand it. And he asked Philip, I ask you, who does this speak of? The prophet or someone else or himself? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preach Jesus to him. They went a little further down the road, came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, that's a little Bible story, but there's some lessons in this story quickly I want to mention this morning and ask you to follow. If you have a bulletin, you might want to write these little blanks, fill them in. First of all, ministry opens a door to share the gospel message. We need to hear that. We all want people to be saved. We all want to have opportunity to share the gospel message. Ministry, and we see this in the life of Philip. First of all, he cared about this man enough to do what the Spirit told him to do. He listened. He, he listened to what the man's question was. He listened and thought about what the man was reading. He cared about the man. Ministry opens the door to sharing the message. You know, I learned this in a vivid way back in my first church after seminary. I, I was in the church, and back in those days, churches, many had two revivals a year, spring revival, fall revival. And I was in the church, and I'd been there a while, and it was revival time, and I invited a friend of mine who he and I served together as assistant pastors at Travis Avenue Church in Fort Worth, a, a man by the name of Tom Harris, much taller than I, a little few years older than I, uh, he played football at A&M under Bear Bryant, and that, that would have been, that would give you a picture of what kind of guy this guy was. He, he was a vice president of Mobile Oil Company stationed in Turkey when God called him to preach. In fact, he picked up the phone. I didn't tell this in the first service. He picked up the phone in Turkey and called to Fort Worth, Texas to the seminary and asked for Dr. Naylor, the president. He had known Dr. Naylor when Dr. Naylor would come and preach in that region of the world and said, Dr. Naylor, this is Tom Harris, and I think God's calling me to resign my job and come to seminary and get my seminary education. God's calling me into the ministry. And Dr. Naylor told him on the phone, it's the most beautiful thing. I wish Tom could be here to tell us, but he's in heaven. He, he says, you're now enrolled in Southwestern Seminary. Get here as quickly as you can. We want you to get here quick and get out quick and go out and tell the world about Jesus. He was a phenomenal soul winner. So I had him to come preach one of my revivals one year. Well, on, on that Sunday night, I said to Tom, I said, Tom, now what I like to do about two hours each night before the revival is go out and visit some homes, invite them to the revival meeting, and if we have the opportunity to share Christ. He said, fine. I said, okay, let's start tomorrow, tomorrow about 4.30. And we did. And when he got in my car, he said something rather unusual. He said, I would like you to take me to the most lost person you know in this town. I said, well, I don't have a list 
classifying lost people, but I sat there and I thought, but I know a guy would be home and I know he needs to be saved and we'll go visit him. Now, I'm going to tell this story. I've got to be very careful not to slip up and give away a name. I'm going to call, the, the, this man had a son who belonged to my church and, and he and his wife and children. Now, the man did not belong to any church. Now, I'm going to call his son in my church, Mr. X. And I'm going to call that man's father, Mr. Y, Mr. Y. And I just want to keep telling it that way. It's not going to be easy. But we go over to Mr. Y's house. And I told Tom before we went, I said, now, Tom, this man's not a Christian. I know that for I've talked to him about it. He has a tremendous alcohol problem. Now, he's not a non-Christian because he has an alcohol problem. He's not a Christian because he has never trusted Jesus. But Tom, he's, he's about two-thirds drunk all day, every day. But he's a good man, and he's a very polite man to me, always been kind to me. But just know what we're getting into. So we get to the house, I knock on the door, and Mr. Y, I said, this is a pastor, can I come in? He said, oh, come in, pastor. He said, I knew you'd be coming. Every time there's a revival, they bring one of those guest preachers to get me saved. I said, well, this is not getting off too good. So we get in. Tom now, he's a, he's a big old tall guy, just an overpowering guy. And we sit down in a chair, and we've been there about two or three minutes, and Tom speaks up to Mr. Y and said, Mr. Y, I want to ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you realized you were a sinner, You've repented of your sins, asked Jesus to come in your heart and make you a Christian. Now, Mr. Y is sitting in his chair. Well, Mr. Y is about as tall as Tom. Mr. Y finally stood up on his feet. And he looked my preacher friend right in the face and pointed his finger at me. Here's what he said. He said, listen, you've asked me a very personal question. You don't know me. I don't know you. And you have no business and no right to ask me a personal question. I thought, man, this visit's not going too good. Then he turned to me. I'm just sitting over here in my little chair. I didn't know exactly what we was going to do here. He pointed to me and he said, now look, you see him sitting there in the chair? I know him. He knows me. He asked me that same question. If he wants to, it's okay. But you can't ask me anything. I don't know you. I thought, man, this... You say, well, how did it turn out? Well, you know, it turned out I, I shared Christ and he didn't make his decision. I pray at some point in life he did. The point of my telling that is to say this. I, I was watching it and I thought, you know, Mr. Mr. Wise got a point here. Uh, if, if, if people know you and they know you care about them and they know you love them, it opens a door to share the message. Now, what the downside of that is, is what grew into friendship evangelism, which we went through a bunch of that for years where he said, you know, you can't share Christ to people till you get to be their good friend. Well, the problem is how good a friend you have to be like a good, a C good friend, a B good friend, a B plus good friend. I mean, I have to be a good friend for one year, two years, five years, 10 years. Well, people can die lost and go to hell while we're trying to figure out how the good friend we have to be. Look, I've shared Christ with people I did not know that had been saved. I've shared Christ with people that I, that I did not know that weren't saved. I've shared Christ with people in all kinds of settings. 
it's the Holy Spirit deals with that. But I am saying this. If people know you care about them and they know you love them, they're more open to hearing about a God who cares about them and loves them. If that makes sense, would you say amen? So, you know, just remember, if you know people well, it helps open the door to that message. Now, let's speed along quickly. I want to encourage you this morning. Each day before you leave home, whether out loud or just in your heart, ask God to give you discernment to see opportunities to share Christ. Now, many times when we leave home, we know exactly where we're going, and we know pretty much people are going to be around that day, but we're going to be around people we didn't know. Just say, God, now I'm going to leave my house here in a minute, and I'm asking you to give me discernment today to see opportunities to share Christ. Now, Philip did not need much help there. The angel told him what to do. But hear me, by and large, angels are not going to tell you what to do. Now, they could. God can do anything. Probably the Holy Spirit is going to put a thought in your mind, put a feeling in your heart. You know, here, here's an opportunity for me to say something. Here's an opportunity for me to share the gospel. Ask God every morning to give you discernment. Now, listen very carefully. Unless you have a passion for souls, you will never think about asking God to give you discernment to share the gospel. I mean, you can't just program this. A person just has to really care about people going to heaven, has to really care about people that might go to hell. And if you have a passion for souls, then you'll think about asking God for discernment. If you say, well, I've never given a thought to asking God for discernment about sharing the gospel. I just say to you, not in a judgmental way, if that's who you are spiritually, where you are, I'm not suggesting you aren't saved. That's not how you get saved. You get saved trusting Jesus. I'm saying this to you. You just don't have much passion for souls. And one reason I have passion for souls, we got passion for so much of stuff. We don't have much time left. There's not much of us left to have passion for souls. I encourage you, be honest with yourself at this point. And then number three, very quickly, let's just hit number three. Once, once you've kind of dealt with that, then number three, when you see the opportunity to share Christ, obey with an Abraham-like faith. When you see... When you just have that thought come in your mind, that feeling in your heart, I need to say something. I need to tell how God helped me. I need to maybe tell how I became a Christian. I need to give out a little booklet. I need to give out a gospel tract. I need to invite them to church. That little thought that comes to your mind, when it comes, know this, the devil didn't put it there. The Holy Spirit of God put it there. The Holy Spirit of God put it there. And when that thought, see, it's not natural to have a thought like that. So something that's not natural is supernatural. And when something supernatural happens, you know it's not natural. You know it's not from you. It's from God. Then with an Abraham-like obedience, share the gospel. Obey. 
and do whatever you have opportunity to do. Now I want to ask you a question. And I, I'm, not, I'm not pointing a finger. I'm just asking you a question. I've asked myself all weeks I've worked on the sermon. But here's my question to you. Don't raise a hand. Just be honest with yourself and God. Would you say that you really have a passion for souls? We all know them, multitudes of them. Students around them every day. Students around them every day. We're all around souls every day. Do you have a real passion in you about doing everything you can, while you can, where you can, so people can know Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior? Or would you say, well, you know, I do want people to go to heaven. I do care. But I couldn't really say I have a passion about it. Well, you know, if that's where you are this morning, and sometimes it's kind of where we all are. I have seasons like that. And that's when I just do what I'm about to ask you to do. I just say, I bow my head and say, God, for whatever reason, I've just let so many things get in my life. Not bad things, just things that somehow or another my passion for souls has kind of waned. And I'm asking you today, God, forgive me of that and restore that fire in me. I want you to bow with me this morning. That's what I want us to do right now. All over this room, from time to time, if we're not going to tell the truth and be honest with ourselves and God in church, we're playing a game. From time to time, we just let life somehow do to us whatever life can do to us. And our passion for souls wanes. Some of you have family members. They may be good people. They may be moral people. But if they don't know Jesus, they're lost people. And we can justify however we want to justify But if they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when their end comes, they will not go be with God. I don't care how good they are. We have families, members. We have friends. Would you just ask God this morning to rekindle your passion for souls? I'm not talking about going around cramming the Bible down people's throat. That's not it. I'm just talking about where you really care enough to share. However you can share. That's the beauty. Some will do it one way. Some will do it another. But all of us together doing our part. Wow. That's what God gave us to do. Lord, if anybody in this room can relate to what I'm preaching, I had the list. I just have so many things that are good things, that are necessary things, maybe, maybe not, but they seem to be. But what they do, they just kind of crowd out the main thing in life is what you gave human beings to do, to share the message of Jesus Christ. 
God, re rekindle that fire in each one of us. And may we today leave this place. We can be another missionary for God, just like Philip. We can go out here and find the chariot that you have for us to catch. Help us, God, see that chariot. And with an Abraham-like obedience to obey. Now, I'm going to ask you to finish that prayer. And I hope you'll say something in your heart to God, like, God, what the pastors just prayed, please do it me. Please help me, God. Please help me, God, every day to see my chariot and remember Philip. God, I pray that for all of us. Now, God, some in the room today would say, you know, I'm not sure I could do that because I'm not even sure myself I'm saved. And if you doubt your salvation, you'll never be a soul winner. I can tell you that. You're not even sure about your own soul. And boy, that's, a, that's, that's one of the devil's big games right there. If you say today, I, well, first you may say, I know I'm not a Christian. Or you may say, I'm just not 100% certain. Pray this prayer in your heart to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to make me a Christian. I trust you, Jesus, today to do that. Others might add a little PS to that and say, Lord, I think I've prayed that prayer endless times, but I don't have 100% peace. If I died today, I'd go to heaven. I must settle that today, God. I have that feeling inside of me that I need to settle my salvation today. Lord, if I've never, I do now. I trust Jesus alone to pay my sin debt. And I place my faith and trust in him. And I thank you today. I'll never again have to worry about that. In Jesus' name.